Shavasanasu. This morning we'll continue with the awareness of awareness. The culmination of this very particular trajectory of shamatha, of course, is that your mind, your ordinary mind, your coarse mind, dissolves into the substrate consciousness. This is the culmination of any shamatha method, whether it's mindfulness of breathing, focusing on a Buddha image, settling the mind, it's been asked sometimes, uh, do you really resolve psychological issues and so forth? Is, is the mind as healed? Is the mind as balanced? If you achieve shamatha by way of awareness of awareness, as opposed to being on the front lines of the mind all the way through, and that is settling the mind and just seeing all the emotions and the memories and traumas and mental afflictions and just, you know, frontline all the way through from the, from the first beginning of the session all the way through the shamatha. You're, you're seeing it all in settling the mind into the natural state. So it really brings up a lot and you are very aware of it. In contrast to that, in awareness of awareness, whatever comes up, emotions, memories, images, thoughts, mental afflictions, whatever it is, just release it. No interest. Gone. And you're just going right back to awareness. And the answer is that um, however you get there, once you've achieved shamatha, you're free of the five obscurations. You're free of them. So the, the purity is the same. The purity is the same. For those who are really interested in the mind, and specifically in one's own mind, then settling the mind in its natural state will be the most interesting and probably the most fruitful and meaningful path to follow, because you really will get to know your own individual mind very well. Um, if you're not that interested in your mind, you're just really interested in the nature of awareness and achieving shamatha and getting on with it, then awareness of awareness may be your ticket. Many of you are trained to varying extents in Vajrayana practice, so you know that a really salient characteristic of Vajrayana is that you're taking the path as the, excuse me, you're taking the fruit as the path. And that is you're taking qualities of enlightenment themselves which you've not yet realized, and you are in a way hooking them and drawing them in by the power of imagination and so forth, the whole meditative process of Vajrayana. You're taking the qualities of enlightenment and making them themselves the path. So you're visualizing yourself, imagining yourself as, let's say, Avalokiteshvara. You're not yet, but you imagine the Avalokiteshvara you'll be in the future, and so forth. So there's a whole background theory behind that. But there's a theme of taking the fruit as the path. The practice of awareness of awareness is not a Vajrayana technique. If you're practicing Vajrayana, you can certainly practice it, but you don't need any initiation, anything like that, to practice of awareness, awareness. But it is similar to Vajrayana in this particular way. And that is, if you're attending to the, to the sensations of the breath, this is, what you're attending to is very different from what you will attend to and what you'll experience when you achieve shamatha. You know, tactile sensations, desire realm, right? Likewise, if you're attending to the thoughts, images, and so forth that arise in the mind, well, that's very different than what you'll experience when you have experienced, when you've reached shamatha, right? Very different. My thoughts, my memories, blah, blah, blah. Get to shamatha, you're beyond all of that. 
But now in this method of awareness of awareness, it's very much like taking the fruit as the path because you're releasing your mind. It's as if, okay, it's as if, okay I'm ready to die right now. Not really. Nobody take me literally. Um, but I'm just ready to transcend my mind right now. Put it that way. Because I don't want to bring death too heavily into this. But I'm ready to trans my, transcend my mind right now. Never mind my mind. Never mind. And just right now, into awareness. Now you'll recall, and this is I think where I'd, I'd end, because I'm eager to get back to meditation. You'll recall the three, the three salient characteristics of the immediate experience of the substrate consciousness. It doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, ethnic background, gender, and all of that. It just doesn't matter. Because by the time your mind, man mind, woman's mind, and so forth, by the time it's dissolved into the substrate consciousness, well, it doesn't matter what your language was, ethnic background, personal history, and so forth, that's, that's dissolved. And now you've just gone into this melted, this melted version. If, you're, if your psyche is like a snowflake, when you slipped into the substrate, that's melted water. So you're there, and so whoever you are, the three characteristics of the substrate that you'll experience, Buddhist or not Buddhist, of course, that's, that's a separate issue as well, is, in Tibetan, it's really easy, de selme dopa, bliss, comes with the territory. It's blissful. It's kind of nice, too. It's luminous. Very importantly, try to remember this, luminous does not mean you're seeing something bright. It's not an appearance. It's not white. It's not blue. It's not any color. It's not some bright appearance of any kind. The luminosity of awareness is like being inside a light bulb. Inside a light bulb. So you're not seeing the light bulb, you are the light bulb. The luminosity that you're experiencing in the substrate consciousness is that which illuminates everything else. So if we put it in vernacular, the luminosity that you're experiencing on the substrate is just an extraordinary sense of being awake. Awake, not asleep, not dull, luminous, clear, radiant, incandescent, bright. But it's not an appearance, it is the quality of your awareness itself. So it's luminous because it illuminates. It's not luminous because it looks bright. Okay, that's a really important point. Okay? And that's true for the method as well as for the result. What we're not attending to in this practice is any luminous appearance of little spheres, of light, of lavender, of white, of blue, of anything. We're not attending to any appearances to awareness. We're simply resting in the sheer luminosity and cognizance of awareness. So the salient features of the substrate consciousness immediately experienced has nothing to do with philosophy either, by the way. You can be Vaibhashika, Chittamatra, Yogacara, it doesn't matter. It's bliss, it's luminosity, and then it's non-conceptuality. Not absolutely so. It's not absolutely devoid of concept, but on a course level, it is conceptually quiet. It's non-discursive, non-conceptual, it's serene, it's still. So there's an absence of chit-chat, an absence of discursive conceptual mind. Well, when we describe it as having two positive qualities, bliss, positive, Luminous, that's positive. I'm, I'm referring to, for those of you, at least two of you, and I'm sure more, who have studied Buddhist philosophy, this is an affirmative. It has positive attributes that you can see. I look at Glenn's shirt, and I see it looks like gray and maybe a light blue. So these are positive, affirmative phenomena that arise to my awareness. That's affirmative. Then I'm looking at Glenn's shirt, and I'm seeing he's not 
I'm seeing there's no red. There's no red in his shirt at all. There's not a tiny bit of red. It's the total absence of red. And so if I'm looking for red, I'm not getting it, right? And so in your immediate experience of the substrate consciousness, there is the experience of bliss. There is the experience of luminosity. And there's an absence of concept. So I'll use my, my translation. It's a partial negation. Jeffrey Hopkins is an affirming negation. Just different translations for the same term. Mayinga. But it seems a little bit oxymoronic to me, but affirming negation. But again, he's a really, he's, I think he's the best Western scholar of Tibetan Buddhism. I ain't going to criticize him. And he's also one of my teachers. Uh, but in any case, a partial negation, I think that's also quite, quite fine because it's a partial negation. What's happening in the immediate experience of the substrate consciousness is you're experiencing an absence of conceptualization and the presence of luminosity and bliss, right? Bliss and luminosity. As with the fruit, so with the path. And on that note, I'm going to end. As with the fruit, so with the path. What's the method here? Okay? And that is in this phase, and we're going to go into it in just a, in a minute or two, in this phase, as you're drawing your awareness inwards, right in upon itself, right in upon the sheer experience of cognizance, of knowing, the sheer experience, and sheer means not elaborated, not adorned, not clothed with anything else. This is directly from Tsongkhapa. The sheer experience, the, the experience of sheer luminosity, the sheer wakefulness, the sheer brightness of your own awareness, and the sheer cognizance, the simple knowing of cognizance. As you're inverting in upon that, you're inverting in upon affirmative qualities and affirmative experience. But as you release, you're not attending to latching on to something, you're simply releasing into space with a complete release of objects an absence of objects, including very explicitly an absence of thinking, of thoughts, right? So when you're releasing outwards, you're releasing into an absence. When you're inverting inwards, you're inverting in upon a presence, a presence of cognizance and luminosity, okay? So we can see a strong similarity between the endpoint and the path. Both are partial negations, methodologically and experientially, an absence of concepts, but an affirmation, a presence of cognizance and luminosity. And when you really start breaking into the substrate, uh, then you get the little perk. Not only luminosity and non-conceptuality, bliss. That's nice. Okay? Let's practice. We'll go to phase two in the teachings of Padmasambhava.
As you well know by now, the cultivation of shamatha entails the cultivation of relaxation, stability, and vividness. In particular, the practice of awareness of awareness brings us right into the nucleus of vividness. It's the same Tibetan word, vividness, clarity, luminosity, all the same term. But to access that degree of clarity and vividness, there needs to be a deep and deeper sense of ease and relaxation. So set your body at ease, relax it in its natural state, your respiration settle in its natural rhythm as a means for letting your inner voice, the inner speech, settle in its natural state of effortless silence, releasing thoughts, letting go of the energy behind thoughts with every outbreath. Make a point of continuing to relax and release all the way through the end of the outbreath. And continue relaxing as the breath flows in effortlessly. Settle your mind with the qualities of relaxation, stillness, and clarity for a little while by mindfulness of breathing in any of the three ways that you find most helpful. Calm the obsessive and compulsive flow of thinking 
Now let your eyes be at least partially open and place your attention, place your awareness evenly in space. Evenly means without focusing on this or that. Eyes open, but without attending to or focusing on anything. Place your awareness evenly in space and simply be present, doing nothing. Whatever thoughts arise, release them instantly. As you attend to no object, note what is most vivid in your experience. It may very well be the immediate experience of being aware, of being conscious. So draw your awareness in upon itself. Let your awareness rest in the most indubitable or doubt-free, knowing that there may be, and that is the knowing of knowing, the knowing of the presence of awareness. No shape, no color, no location, no size. Then at your own pace, your own rhythm, initiate the oscillation, a profoundly, utterly relaxing, letting go of effort, releasing your awareness into space with no object.
while gently sustaining the flow of awareness of awareness. then arouse, exert some effort, concentrate and focus, invert your awareness right in upon itself as you withdraw your awareness from all appearances and all objects of the mind. Draw your awareness right in upon itself. The experience of awareness only. to the practice and you find it helpful, you may synchronize this inversion and release of awareness with the in and outflow of the breath, maintaining, of course, just a peripheral awareness, a tiny bit of multitasking of the rhythm of the in and out breath, inverting your awareness in upon itself as you inhale, releasing into space with no object as you exhale. Continue to allow the breathing to flow unimpededly, no regulation, effortlessly. Breathe through the nostrils or the mouth as you see fit, whatever gives you a greater sense of looseness and relaxation in the body and the respiration. Your body is still as a mountain, apart from the movement of the breath.
And now attend even more closely as you invert your awareness. The following is not an exercise in logic or in discursive thinking. It is an exercise in radical empiricism, a very close, immediately experiential inquiry. And here is the question. Do you have the experience of being someone who's observing who's peripherally aware of the in and out flow of the breath? Do you have a sense of being the subject, the observer? Who's aware of consciousness? Observe very closely. Do you have a sense of someone being in here? You, the observer. And if so, what are your characteristics? Attend very closely. And then release. Probe inwards upon whatever experience there may be of yourself as the subject who is the observer. And release. If you do identify a sense of being someone in here, examine closely. Do you have a location? Are you in the head, above it, behind it? Do you have a size? Are you small like a little marble, or big like space? Do you have shape? Do you have any attributes at all? These are not rhetorical questions, and there's no one right answer. It is a matter of your own experience to attend closely. Who do you think you are as the observer? How do you appear to yourself?
invert and release, invert and release. and let the oscillation subside. And let your awareness simply come to rest effortlessly. Not inverted, nor released. Just resting in its own place, neither in nor out resting right where it is. And here, let your awareness illuminate and know itself. See that the respiration continues to flow effortlessly and unimpededly, your body at ease, your mind loose and relaxed, instantly releasing any thoughts that arise.
Picasso, I'd like to, you to exercise your imagination a little bit. And that is, if you were practicing settling the mind in this natural state, first reminder, pop quiz, what's the object of mindfulness? Space of the mind, whenever arises within it. So that's the object. And now imagine you follow the whole trajectory. You go along all the nine stages, and you've achieved shamatha. What are you attending to now? Just the substrate. It was the space of the mind. Now the, uh, the space of the mind, which you can attend to on the very first session, many of you can, you've peeled away veils and veils of grasping, of projection, of thinking, of junk. Peeled it away. And the space of the mind, when unpeeled from the overlays of concepts and so forth, is of course nothing other than the substrate. The substrate is unpeeled space of mind. If you are practicing classic method from oh, multiple traditions in Tibetan Buddhism, focusing on a Buddha image. You achieve shamatha, focusing, let's say, on a, an image, a radiant golden image of the Buddha. You achieve shamatha. Anybody know, Tsongkhapa scholars, what do you do after you've achieved shamatha, focusing on a Buddha image? What do you do then? Do you recall? Ah. You release it. You don't just hold, 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 hold. You release it. It's done its work. You've been blessed by that image, your faith in the image. It's now radiant, it's three-dimensional, it's about as vivid as if you were looking with your own eyes. But you've achieved the whole, all the signs of having achieved shamatha have occurred. Now what do you do? You release it. And, what do you, and having released it, what are you attending to? Substrate, right? This practice, we're not attending to the space of the mind in the first place. We're not attending to any object in the space of the mind in the first place. So when you achieve shamatha, in the practice of shamatha without a sign, what are you aware of when you achieve shamatha? Substrate consciousness, yeah. What else could it possibly be? So from the very first session, insofar as you're able to get a little taste of doing the practice correctly, you are aware of awareness, and then just peel off the layers of grasping, projection, conceptualization, and so forth, peel off your immediate experience of awareness taking place with its luminosity and cognizance, peel off the layers, and there all that's left is unadorned substrate consciousness, luminous, but now you've gone into the very essence of that luminosity, which illuminates all modes of awareness. You get the added advantage, the, be the benefit, that since the mind is so uncluttered, undistorted, unafflicted, its innate bliss just arises naturally. And, of course, part and parcel of that is it's not veiled by concepts, it's non-conceptual. Oh, and it's beyond any, any real sense of personal identity as being this person and that person. Any more than if you're in deep sleep. When you're deep asleep, you're not a woman. Outside, you'll still look like a woman. I think so. But from inside, subjectively, in deep sleep, you're not a woman or a man. You're not old or young. You have no personal history. It's all been cleaned off, melted away. So, likewise, when you achieve shamatha, you're not really anybody at all. What a relief. <laughs> Being somebody is such a drag.
Let's take a break. I'll see you later.